Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Uncovered. I'm Jared Kimber. With me is Bayram Kazi. We're going to be talking about the last few days in the cricket world. I don't know if anything's happened. Uh, <laughs> not sure, I'd have to, I'd have to check. But just in case anything has happened, we will try and cover it. Uh, remember, if you, you're in the comments and you want to ask us anything, super chat is the best way to go. But you can also discuss things like Anwesh is in there and Keshav uh, is there as well. So feel free to come over. And remember, if you do like this podcast, the best way to support us is by subscribing to the Jared Kimber podcast page. Eventually, that'll be the only place to watch them if you want to do them on YouTube anyway. They'll all be there. Um, but thank you to everyone. Um, Baram, let's start with the spirit of cricket. Mm-hmm. I may or may not um, have just slagged off a British Prime Minister uh, about <laughs> getting involved with cricket. And of course, because he doesn't know anything about cricket and he's a knob, um, he has decided to talk about the spirit of cricket. It's very. I've had a few direct messages from some very earnest people saying, "Jared, you need to talk about the spirit of cricket mm-hmm. and its role to uh, be played here." You're a you're a professional uh, cricket person. Could you actually tell me what the spirit of cricket says? Well, I mean, I think the spirit of cricket has always been so subjective. I mean, we've seen it being brought up when you talk about the Bankad, right? But I can name you a few instances where you know England or Australia, one of those big guys, weren't involved, and you know Pakistan was playing, and none of this was even brought into question. And the two main ones that come to my mind is a Quinton de Kock running Fakhar Zaman out. I think that was really, really like poor and against the spirit of cricket, and he didn't you know, get reprimanded for it or, or something. And then also, if you go back all the way to 2006, 
when England were touring Pakistan, the Ashes winning team from 2005. I think it was 2005, actually. Yes, late 2005. And Inzamam, you know, was run out by Steve Harmison, who threw the ball at him. And Inzamam was just trying to save himself. And he got run out. And the next time, funnily enough, when that happened to Inzi, he, he blocked it and got out obstructing the field. So I don't know why those two instances are just conveniently, you know, brushed under the rug because that's also poor spirit of cricket. In fact, that's more poor because it's it has trickery involved. And I think that's where the spirit of cricket comes into uh, question when there's some sort of trickery involved. Over here, but, Alex Carey... But you say yeah. that most of the laws actually... Uh, they, they, it's very hard to trick the laws. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if Alex Carey had held the ball and pretended like he was throwing it to a fielder, right? Mm-hmm. The umpire could have said, "A, he felt like it was it was over anyway," or he could have mm-hmm. um, thought that uh, uh, that something else was. I forget what the law is called. Sorry, I've forgotten that particular law uh, from that point of view. Um, but but there are the trickeries. A lot of the trickeries, anyway, like the one we used to pretend that a fielder was throwing mm-hmm. the ball in, or that you purposely misfielded, and all those things. There are actually laws that have been written about that because yeah. the things that we can write laws about, we will write laws about. The people who, mm-hmm. who are involved with the laws, people like Fraser Stewart, uh, Johnny Singer used to be involved back in the old days as well. A lot of the former players and that, they, ha- they are sent so many cases from club cricket, from professional cricket, you know, all different levels of cricket about all this sort of stuff. So the, the other thing that I would add, um, to, you, you talked about some of the interesting ones. We saw the island cricket team run out mm-hmm. Kagisa Rabada right? When they knew that Kakisa Rabada thought it was a dead ball because it was a, um, uh, because it was a wicket, right? Now, the truth is that Rabada probably should have got into his crease in that situation. I would certainly don't ever stand in the middle of the wicket would be my, my argument. Um, and, and I certainly understand that side of it, but Ireland knew the reason he wasn't running back in was because he thought a wicket had gone. Now the umpires made a mistake in this case. Uh, Rabada shouldn't have been given out LBW, uh, LBW. Uh, definitely shouldn't have been given out LBW. Um, uh, it shouldn't. He shouldn't have been given out run out um, in this case because the ball was already dead. But regardless of that, no one ca- cared about it. It wasn't even. It was barely spoken about. A lot of these incidents, and and obviously it happens when the big three teams are involved, as you've mm-hmm. already suggested, suddenly get blown all the way out of uh, you know all normal all normal um, problems with, with the cricket where these sorts of dismissals happen over and over and over again. Suddenly there's a big three nation involved and, or in this case, two big three nations involved and it's the biggest thing that's ever happened. What Ireland did was far worse than what um, uh, Alex Carey did. In fact, Alex Carey didn't do anything wrong. But just to talk about the spirit of cricket for a moment, the, the issue with the spirit of cricket is, as you said, it is subjective. Mm-hmm. You, your cricket background is Pakistan and Canada. My cricket mm-hmm. background is Australia and England. There'll be other people who just play cricket in their local areas. No one can agree. And there's something really interesting at the bottom of the preamble. So the spirit of cricket pre- preamble in the laws. I'm going to read this to you. Cricket is an exciting game that encourages leadership, friendship, and teamwork, which brings together people from different nationalities, cultures, and religions, especially played within the spirit of cricket. If these people have different nationalities, have different cultures <laughs> and different religions. We suddenly think that when they play cricket, they will they will all suddenly come together and have the same thought. The problem with the spirit of cricket <laughs> is that there is no way that two people in the world can have the exact same theory on what the spirit of cricket should be. So here's my perfect example to you. 
There are, I've been invited on every English broadcast in the world to talk about this at the moment. This, everyone is so upset with the fact that Alex Carey did a legal dismissal of Johnny Bairstow. And yet we watched <laughs> an entire session of cricket where all England did was bowl bounces. And they didn't just bowl bounces at top order players, did they? They bowl bounces at an injured number 10 in Nathan Lyon who could barely <laughs> move. When I first learned about cricket, my dad was still going on and on about the fact that Number 10 and 11 should never get bounces bowled against them. And it, mm. there was no law in the, in the game that said that specifically throughout the history of cricket. There have been different laws that have come up later and playing conditions have come up. But there is no law that basically says you can't do it. It says you can't go over the top with it. There are things like mm. that. You are allowed to try and hit Nathan Lyon with his butt, dodgy calf in the head. And there is absolutely no problem with that. But. You are not allowed to run someone out or stump someone when they have made an error leaving their crease. That is the absolute nonsense of the spirit of cricket. I'm going to take it one step further, Bayram. Here mm -hmm. we go. The spirit of cricket is basically a colonial holdover, right? Mm -hmm. When I was just on, on, on an interview and they were talking about, you know, cricket is the gentleman's game. They don't mean you and me. Well, they might mean you. I don't know your full background. Tell that to the Lord's members, right? Yeah. It does not mean <laughs> you and me when they say gentleman's game. What they mean mm -hmm. is literally gentlemen was a class of people inside England who controlled cricket, mm -hmm. right? This is Gentleman does not mean men, right? It doesn't mean all the people. And the reason you know it doesn't mean men is have a look at the famous cricket game that was played. It was called gentlemen versus players right? <laughs> Gentlemen is about the top 1% of people controlling something, right? And then they have decided, like Chatham House rules, that there's this other special thing on top of everything else that only matters to them. The problem is that if you are not brought up in a village in Somerset, you're going to have a very different idea of this if you're playing in an Oval Maidan in Mumbai, right? If you're hmm. playing in Tangal, or if you're playing in Auckland, even if you're playing in North Auckland to South Auckland, it's going to be different, right? The spirit of cricket is not a thing that we should be hanging our hat on. What we should be saying is, the great thing about cricket is it has the ability for different people to play to their morals. Mm -hmm. If you want yeah. to walk, you are allowed to walk. If you don't want to walk, you don't have to walk. If you feel that that was an icky dismissal, you could say, do you know what? I wasn't feeling that. I, I think we'll just let that guy play on, right? That is a fine part of cricket, but don't force your morals on anyone else because the minute you do, A, you look like an idiot, and B, if you cannot explain what the spirit of cricket is in a way that would unify everyone who should believe in it, you're basically just talking shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, imposition in all its forms is bad, right? You take it with respect to spirit of cricket or religion or culture or whatever. Imposition is bad and everyone should just refrain from it. It's, it's rather surprising that this is coming out the way it has because we have precedent of Brent McCollum, you know, running out Murli Dharan in 2006 when he was going to congratulate Sangakara after scoring his 100. I think you mentioned another incident when Zimbabwe was playing, which no one is talking about because Zimbabwe was playing, where Chris Mpofu was run out by Brendan McCullum again. Who, and, and, I mean, and that, that one's worth, worth mentioning because it's really interesting that you talk about that because mm -hmm. he apologized to Kumar and Murali, who are two legends mm -hmm. of the game, and Kumar was in front of him when he apologized, right? And remember, mm -hmm. he's giving the spirit of cricket lecture and he's got someone who's also given a spirit of cricket lecture in front of him, right, at that time. Mm -hmm. The reason that that's important is well, he's never said anything to Mpofu, as far as I can tell, certainly not publicly, right? And if he wasn't giving a spirit of cricket lecture in front of uh, Kumar Sangakara, would he have apologized? Maybe yeah, privately one point. day? I, I, I don't know. But yeah, no, you're 100% right. Those were 
slightly different situations, although basically the same thing. The mm-hmm. batter assumed the ball was dead when the ball wasn't dead, left the crease and was run out by McCullum. But the other thing yeah. is now that um, Ricky Wessels, the son of Kepler Vessels, um, I don't know why I said Wessels for one and Vessels for the other. Um, I think it's Vessels. <laughs> Kepler Vessels, isn't it? I need, Wessels. Wh- where is, I think it's pronounced Vessels, and I should oh, know really? this, but I could be wrong. Where's Neil Manthorpe when you need him? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I sent all my um, South African pronunciations. I've got a different person for different pronunciations everywhere. Um, <laughs> this game is... Well, if they pronounce their V as fun, fun them over, then maybe you have a point. Maybe Wessels is Vessels. Now, now you're confusing me even more. But, um, <laughs> but, but the point is that, that uh, Ricky, Ricky put out a tweet with an incident where Johnny Bairstow took the ball behind the stumps. Uh, he's waiting for the batter for, I don't know, second half, two seconds sort of thing. <laughs> Certainly a lot longer than Alex Carey, who basically also, threw his... Also, sorry to interject, but how is, this, how is this different from those sort of occasions where it's a spin bowler and the wicketkeeper literally waits for the batter to remove his leg from the crease and then they stump him. That's completely fine. But stumping someone off a pacer is wrong. That's ridiculous. And obviously, Australia picked up on this trend. They just didn't mm. do this. You can tell by the reaction time of Alex Carey, right? You wrote in your piece, it was what, a 0.87 of a second in which he threw back the ball? And mm. I think the onus really falls on Johnny Bairstow, you know. The crease is there for a reason and you need to make sure that you're still inside it or your foot is still inside it before the ball is dead. And I just, it's, it's, it's really weird how Brendan McCullum has come out and said that Australia will live to regret this Johnny Bairstow decision and he won't be having a beer with him anytime soon. Ben Stokes is talking about, you know, how he would have withdrawn the appeal. But yeah, I mean, that now, let me stop you on that because we, we talked about yeah. this off air as well. I, I want to be really clear. It's really interesting that he didn't say we wouldn't run someone out. <laughs> or stump someone in this case. What he actually said was we would withdraw the appeal. So what he's saying is that Besto should have been given out, should have been, you should have taken the bails off, but then we would say, oh, we'll give him a warning or something, which is absolutely yeah. fine, except for the fact that Australia had watched Besto do this consistently. And I commentated on for the last couple of years uh, for SEN back in Australia and New Zealand on England test matches. We talk about what Besto does all the time. It's something mm-hmm. that is really, really common, um, you know, that we have mentioned uh, so many times, which is Besto can't stay in his crease. He is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think we started calling him on, on SEN, the constant gardener, right? He's always down the other end. <laughs> and there are hilarious a- occasions. In fact, I'm not sure if it was the first innings of this game or the second innings, but I was watching with a friend and I said to them, look at this, he wants to talk to whoever the non-striker is. And the non-striker has no interest in this conversation. And has literally turned their back on Besto. So now Besto's <laughs> got to run back. It's a thing that he does uh, quite a lot. So I, I think from that from that perspective, uh, yeah, it's it, it's certainly... Uh, and and someone asked me this question on Twitter. And so hopefully they're, they're watching these videos and, and we'll be able to see it. But the other interesting thing about it is that they asked me if there are other people. There are the players who leave the crease a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and generally the players who leave the crease the most are the most careful because mm-hmm. it's a bit like I was, you know, if you want to, for me, I bat out of my crease. So I'm very, very aware of where I am standing at all times because I know I've started out of my crease. So I know even a simple play and miss for me, if I dawdle, there's a chance that, you know, the keeper will, will take the bails off. And so players who garden a lot generally are the ones you'll have a look, they'll watch the ball go to the wicket keeper. And they'll watch it be thrown around. Um, and, it, you know, you can even take this further. Chiteshwar Pajara has to look all the way around um, uh, the uh, uh, the field. He watches the ball all the way around, which is probably a little bit too much. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, let's have a, a couple more things just about this. The other one is that this happened at Lords. 
right? Yeah. Which is hilarious. It's hilarious mm. this happened at Lords for so many different reasons. One is Classy Lords. The, the Lords <laughs> members are upset. Well, aren't you the guys in charge of the Lords? Mm-hmm. You had 200 years to fix this Lord, uh, these laws, NCC members. What have you been doing? Putting on your red trousers and tutting at people the whole time. You have plenty <laughs> of chances to change this. You have plenty of chances for the spirit of cricket to be written mm-hmm. the exact way you wanted it to be. We mm-hmm. could all, I don't know, snort three times before each ball if you wanted to change the laws in that sort of way, right? Uh, but the fact that happened at Lords and at Lords, Barham, there is the WG, uh, WG, WC, WC, MCC? WG Grace. I don't know why I've got so confused. At Lords, <laughs> there is the WG Grace Gates, right? He has it. That's mm. how big he is. The man has his own gates. Yeah. Probably because you needed to open them to get him in by the end. You know, there's quite a <laughs> lot of man. So, yeah, it's hard to get WG Grace for a turnstile by the also, end. Also, you needed a gate to kidnap uh, that Australian cricketer, right? Billy Midwinter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> WG Grace had a. He was fielding at square leg in a test match. And I think it was 1882, I want to say. It's the birth match. It's the birthplace of the Ashes. WG Grace is out there at square leg. Sammy Jones gets a ball that hits him on the pad. It trickles out on the leg side. According to Sammy, he looks over at WG Grace and nods at him as if to say, I'm going to go down and do some gardening now. This ball's dead, right? He then walks back. He then walks down the ground to do that. WG Grace picks up the ball, goes up and runs him out, right? Mm. He has gates at Lord's. <laughs> What are we talking about here? Also, yeah, sorry, go. No, no, no. I just wanted to uh, like, you know, uh, uh, kind of paint a parallel with this incident and the Munkad. So, I mean, I just want to play devil's advocate over here. You know, a lot of people are on the fence with running someone out on the non-strikers and it's a very uh, hot topic in cricket. Whenever it happens, everyone just talks about it for five days. But the point over there is that there are incidents of other bowlers, you know, not running the batter out of the non-strikers and then giving mm. warnings. West Indies was a very popular one, uh, an outfit of the 80s who used to do this quite regularly. I know a lot of Pakistan fans will remind people of the time, uh, I think Courtney Walsh refused Walsh, to yeah. run Abdul Qadir out. So there is some uh, precedent that, of that would have won them a, over there. That would have won them a World Cup game, if I remember correctly. Something like that, yeah. It was a big right. game anyway. It was a big game. But either way, you see both things happening over there. Over here, the batter left his crease and I think that's just casual or lax attitude by Bairstow. Alex Carey was switched on less than a second to throw the ball and one could argue that he's been switched on ever since he fell in that Moven pick pool in Karachi. But I just find it hilarious that, you know, uh, it's been being compared to the Mankat because over there, there's a complex history where you have both sides. Over here, it's not so complex and it's fairly straightforward. It's not even a run out. It's a stumping for crying out loud. So you're telling me that batters cannot get stumped off fast bowlers, that sounds a bit ridiculous to me. And I think the irony of it all is that Johnny Bairstow started off the test match carrying a protester off the field and ended it by getting stumped by a pacer. So, so by having his own protest, if you will. No, look, I think, so the whole thing with, one thing that you will hear people say is he wasn't trying to get an advantage, right? Mm-hmm. We have seen a thousand people play a shot off a spinner and have their foot slightly even on the crease, just not over mm-hmm. it. They're not trying to get an advantage. In fact, sometimes they've finished playing their shot, right? Mm-hmm. As you said, you can overbalance later on all these different things. Mancat is another perfect example of you not mm-hmm. trying to uh, get an advantage when you get run out. The creases are painted for real. These aren't accidental. These creases, Barham, didn't just happen by, yeah. by you know, the, it wasn't like some bird came and crapped on a line right? These creases exist for a reason. And your job when the ball is live is to make sure that you are in one end or the other. 
Hopefully not both mm-hmm. at the same end, because that can go very bad. And just to come to Roy's super chat, which I brought up ages ago, and we somehow haven't gotten into yet. Um, Roy says, and thank you very much, Roy. The spirit of cricket is a form of convenience as it changes time to time. This is the problem with this concept, mm-hmm. right? Is people hide behind it when they're upset at something, and then they and then they ignore it when they're on the other side. Stuart right? Broad is a prime example of that. You know, edges one to first slip, that's fine. But this, apparently, what has happened to Bearstow is the worst thing he's ever seen on a cricket field, right? Stuart so, Broad. I mean, come on, give me a break. Stuart Broad <laughs> gets rem- rem- remembered for not walking, right? And I don't mind that because I don't walk. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no issue with that at all. And it was off the wiki keeper's glove. Always, always mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to get absolutely slammed in the comments. But it did go to first slip eventually. But... Mm-hmm. The point is, he also threw a ball at Wahab Riaz. No, no, it wasn't Wahab Riaz. It was, it was the keeper, Zolkadir um, Haider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He threw a ball at Haider, which I believe broke his fingers. Oh, did right? it? I mean, there Pretty was a lot sure of back and and the stuff that happened after that. I mean, he left the tour. You talk, <laughs> about, you talk about Alex Carey and from yeah. falling in that pool. Have a look at Haider's career after uh, Stuart Broad hit him <laughs> with a ball, right? The point is that... Stuart Broad has done far worse things on a mm. cricket field than, than what Alex Carey has done. And the ho- hypocrisy of that. It was a weird test match because there was a lot of things going on. And there's just one other thing I want to mention about the Stuart Broad angle of this, just because it's so funny. Is Do you remember the time-wasting incident? Do you even know what I'm talking about? The shoe? The shoe. <laughs> the shoe. The shoe. Okay, so 2015 World Cup. There's a, it's in my Stuart Broad video. It's one of my favourite Stuart Broad moments. I was so... Excited to remember off. it. Yeah. <laughs> it, they had bowled exactly what happened to Australia. They had to bowl a really long session in that first one. And a similar sort of thing happened where the bowlers got really, really tired and the batters got on top. And so they were like, well, we don't want to bowl any more overs than we have to, right? We, we want to finish this. And so Stuart Broad, going back, takes his shoe off, right? <laughs> and like starts the time waste. Now, Stuart Broad, best time waster I've ever seen in cricket. Best troll, best time waster. He's just, forget great bowler, right? Forget funny batter. Much better at time wasting and trolling. Uh, Pat Cummins does the exact same thing, and Stuart Broad is absolutely furious. This is something I, 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 I do. I want to throw this person under the bus. I won't throw this person under the bus. What I say <laughs> is that one person who who knows a lot about these sorts of things said to me that that was a five run penalty and should have been mm. given a five run penalty. And it wasn't obviously given a five-run penalty. And so from, from that, um, uh, that is, I would say what Cummins did was a bigger cheating. Than, I mean, there was no cheating now, the scary one. But even so, Cum, what Cummins did was actually cheating because he, what, he's, what he was thinking was, we don't want to bowl one extra over, so we're going mm-hmm. to manufacture time-wasting to make sure that we don't bowl that over. Mm-hmm. Right. No one cares about that. Now, I know Wicket wasn't there and all these sorts of things. And I understand why people don't care about it as much. But actual other things happen. Um, what about the start catch? Tell me what you think mm. about the start catch. So when I saw the start catch live, I instantly, you know, before they even sent it to the third empire, I personally thought that, oh, he's kind of used it to steady himself. And Ian Ward brought that up later on. I mean, people will obviously be... Um, polarized on this decision and I I guess a bit of bias comes in as well. I don't know if you heard Glenn McGrath on the comms, but he was having none of it, right? But you look at Mark Taylor and he had a more balanced view and he was kind of understanding where Murray Rasmus came from. But if you look at the way Stark completed his catch, I don't think he was in control of his body and when he put the ball on the turf, he didn't have any fingers underneath the ball. Now, those are the things I look for in a clean catch, right? Fingers underneath the ball and then obviously you need to be in control of the catch. So I don't think both of those things happen. In fact, when I 
happened, I was like, that that looks not out to me. And when it did, you know, when Maria Erasmus did declare it not out, I was actually quite happy. Uh, but, you know, you always feel like, oh, there might be something to check over here. I probably need to look up the rule book and see, was it a catch? Was it not a catch? Because I'm, like you said, a professional working in cricket. I don't want to get this one wrong, right? Mm. I have a hunch based on my own knowledge, but I need to confirm it. And I think the explanations that I have read pretty much uh, confirm it for me. I mean, I'm quite satisfied. I think I don't think it was a catch. And also, it's just, um, you see both sides of it, right? Like, the Ashes is such a competitive competition or, or series that, I mean, a lot of Australians were creating hue and cry over that. And similarly, you look at the English, and it's a simple stumping, and they're creating a lot of hue and cry over that. So you can see that tempers are flaring. And, I mean, Andrew McDonald said that he's quite disappointed to uh, listen to whatever Stokes and McCullum have had to say. But I can only imagine this to heat up this series even more. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, they might be telling each other in the <laughs> in the change room that we're 2-0 up, lads. So, what do we know? What do we know what's going on over there? <laughs> now, just on the start catch, so I was at on the right side of the press box. So, I was almost directly mm -hmm. behind Stark mm -hmm. when it happened. And it happened in front of me. And I, what I thought was going to happen, I had a tweet ready to go, was mm -hmm. I was positive he'd put the ball on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought what would happen is that he would, um, that Duckett would actually go off the field and that the umpires hadn't picked it up. So I thought they were checking for a no ball when they first stopped. And I thought mm -hmm. they're going to miss an absolutely huge one here. And this definitely should have been out. Uh, uh, sorry, not out, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, yeah, look, it's a litmus test. Um, to go back to Roy's comment from before, I mean, he's right about how the spirit of cricket is a form of convenience that changes over time, mm -hmm. from time to time. But the other thing is that, like, how many angry Australians were there that the start catch mm -hmm. was given not out? And then how many angry English people were there that the Bairstow um, incident happened? Ricky Ponting counts as three angry Australians, yeah. just to put it out there. Okay. Well, Glenn McGrath, <laughs> Glenn McGrath, I think they put that clip out. And I was just like, mm -hmm. what is he talking about? Yeah. We've literally seen an Australian player who's rolling over, put the ball on the ground. Like, it's so <laughs> obvious that there's at least a gray area there. But mm -hmm. it just shows you how people view these things. And, you know, some of the, most of the personal abuse, well, most of the abuse I got was from, you know, very, very angry um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, English people abusing me for being Australian. And, and it's just mm -hmm. like, look, I was pro Stuart Broad when his one happened. Um, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, I thought the start catch was not out. You can't suddenly accuse me of being Australian now because <laughs> you're not happy with, with what's happening on. And I'm, I've been very clear, whether it be man cats, whether it be any of the, even mm -hmm. in the Rabada situation where Rabada shouldn't have been given out. I think if you go back and look at my video on the Rabada situation, I still said he should have got in the crease. I'm very mm. consistent on this. If you think the ball is in play, get in the crease. If you're not sure if the ball is in play, Get in the crease anyway, right? <laughs> just stay in there. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention was, uh, someone's just asked this. Uh, I think Samba just put a uh, question up saying, is there any contemporary cricket cricketer, cricket captain who you think would have withdrawn the appeal? So obviously mm -hmm. we had the, the situation and, and I had this conversation. Tony did with, this, right? Well, Tony uh, did. if I'm wrong. Yeah. And I think I might have been on with Steve Harmison and mm -hmm. John Norman on TalkSport. We were talking about this. I think it was those two guys I was talking to about this. But we were talking about the one of the interesting things about Dhoni was Dhoni was the one who took the bails off, mm. right? And he was dead certain that Ian Bell should have been run out. And Ian Bell definitely should have been run out. Ian Bell made a huge error. You should, unless the umpire is, is um, showing that there's four runs, 
why would you ever just assume that the ball's gone for four? In, in any other situation, he could have been run out and that would have been his own fault. Because it was T and he ran off the ground, there was like, it was a bit like the end of the over uh, part of this here, where, where it was like, oh, it's a bit more confusing. It's not confusing. You mm-hmm. wait for the umpire to call T or you wait for the ball to go uh, uh, into the rope and you've seen it go into the rope and you've seen the umpire um, uh, give it as four. But the interesting thing about that was because there was a break, right? Dhoni had a chance after five or 10 minutes. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think it was Andy Flower and Andrew Strauss. I think Andrew Strauss was the captain at the time. Yeah, who I went in so. there and they t- talked to him and Duncan Fletcher. And they had a good chat. And by that stage, Dhoni wasn't, he's, he wasn't pumping anymore. Do you know what I mean? The, mm. the moment had gone. That is when it makes a lot more sense. Where, and I think there's been a couple of occasions like this. There's the famous run out with um, Dean Jones, where Dean Jones gets bowled off a no ball, thinks he's out. Mm. So he starts to leave the ground. And then the West Indians pick up the ball and run him out. Right Again, shouldn't have been given out. The umpire's got that one uh, incorrect. But the point is that um, at the end of the day, I think some of the West Indians were a bit like, yeah, we kind of knew you probably shouldn't have been out then. But at the mm. time, they were just happy to get rid of a batter. So there is a little thing of, t- and, and even if you look at the McCullum situation, right? 10 years later, he had regret. Yeah. Maybe maybe, maybe had- in 2033, you know, when Pat Cummins is giving a lecture at Lords or something, we see an apology from him too, but I doubt it. Yeah. Because in his presser, he said that Johnny does this all the time. So they know that Bairstow, you know, is is like that. He He attempts these sort of things. And I mean, I think Scotty Styrus tweeted, right, that there should be no disparity. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but there should be no disparity between the laws of the game and the spirit of the game. And I think that is the most simplest way to put it. And if these guys, the MCC members, are writing the rules, they are not allowed to be the ones who are being loud about it. Laws? I'm not going to let you say rules on here. Of all the oh, podcasts, right. Sorry, laws. especially, you know, <laughs> uh, we'll have we'll have Barrett um, commenting uh, and coming up. Uh, coming up next, we will talk about the actual cricket. Because mm-hmm. some cricket was played. Uh, but you're watching Uncovered with Jared and Bayram. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Uncovered, Jared and Bayram. Uh let's let's talk some cricket. Uh so what have we got? Uh the Ben Stokes innings was mm-hmm. amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've talked about the technical aspect of it, but there's also just the pure hitting that he manages to do. It's mm-hmm. I, He's such a captivating player to watch live. I was there in 2019. I was there at Headingley. I've seen this one. Um, but once he starts to hit the ball, there's a real, there's a real like, I've forgotten the guy's name. Who's the guy that tries to kill everyone in the Marvel Avengers? Uh, the guy with the clicky fingers. Um 
but you know, there's a real in- inevitability. The big Thanos, the mm-hmm. big purple dude. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my kids have started watching Harry Potter again and Star Wars again lately. <laughs> so unfortunately, my Marvel knowledge has slipped a little bit. But yeah, there's a real inevitability of it. You watch the way mm-hmm. that Australia was playing. I just thought Stokes was absolutely marvelous. And I, I do think there are technical reasons why he's so good in these innings, which, mm-hmm. you know, you can have a look in one of our other videos that we put up and I'll probably do a whole piece on it one day. Cause I've always mm-hmm. been really fascinated on it, but he's not like a normal batter, which in most cases limits him as a player, but in those sorts of environments actually brings out the most in him. And I think, you know, his, his best case scenario is it being seven down with like 150 runs to get um, on a pitch that's playing up a little bit. He's actually probably a better player then than he is coming in at mm-hmm. three for, 250 on, on a normal wicket. Yeah, and I mean, if the word clutch was a cricketer, Ben Stokes would be that cricketer. I mean, that's just how clutch he is. And every time England are under pressure, he soaks it in. And you have like tons of examples now. You've got the 2019 Cricket World Cup final, the very recently concluded T20 World Cup final yeah. versus Pakistan. You've got head, heading D 2019. And now you have Lords 2023. And this one in particular, I think it was rather impressive. And I'm just going off of your piece because you have all of these keen observations. But the way he targeted one side of the ground, you know, hit... Uh, with the wind, not against it, and targeted that short boundary from one end. I think that was super smart cricket. And it's just that I feel like he just turns on whenever, you know, the chips are down. And that's what makes him such a special cricketer and such a fan favorite. Like for me as a spectator, I would pay top dollar to watch Ben Stokes do his thing in these sort of situations. In fact, I would have loved it had he taken England over the line. But ultimately, I think uh, if you look at the whole game, when England batted first in their first innings and were rolled over for 325, I think after they were 188 for the loss of one wicket, you know, they were a touch too careless versus the short stuff. That was obviously a main feature in this test match. And had they just, you know, played with a bit of more, bit more brains versus all that, uh, those short deliveries, I think they could have gotten at least 50 to 60 runs at the minimum. And hey, they lost by 45. So I think that's where they lost it. That's where Baz Ball became a bit stupid. And I'm all for attacking cricket, funky fields, you know, uh, uh, disturbing bowlers' rhythm and line and length. But you can't just go out hoiking at every short ball. You've got to leave some. And well, Ben Duckett played a brilliant game, 98 and 83, got out to the short one twice. And his name is Duckett. He's supposed to duck it, but he doesn't, fair, he doesn't leave anything. To be anything. fair, also, he probably <laughs> gave a few chances against the short ball as well. And also back of a length ball, he had a bit of a, I thought he batted really well, but there was also, I there was a, lo- a lot of luck from that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, so the, I, the whole bounces thing, we're obviously going to do mm-hmm. a whole episode on that. So uh, stay tuned to Jared Kimber podcast channel. That's mm-hmm. where the podcast will be about it, but I'll also be doing a video on it if I ever get time to finish the video. Um, it's, I think it's a really, really interesting one. The one thing I would say, you talked about the attacking, and I think I was sitting next to Derek Pringle, and I think he might have written this in one of his pieces, but I know he said it to me, and I saw him write the note down. He was very, very pleased with himself. He said that England are playing cricket without context at the moment, and there's a freedom in that, right? The f- mm. freedom is just go out, do your thing. There'll still be a cigar and a you know, glass of whiskey for you at the end of the day's uh-huh. play regardless, right? There is a real freedom with that. But there have been times in this series when they should have done better as a team mm. and they haven't because they are not playing to the situation. And that doesn't... Stokes, Stokes' innings is an example of that because he played different phases, right? Yeah, That's what exactly. they should have done in the first innings. 
And and so Stoke, if you, a perfect example of of that is the Stokes first innings one when they're collapsing and everyone's playing pulls and hooks and Stokes just plays the short ball with a straight bat and ducks them and you know occasionally plays you know a, 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 another kind of you know more attacking shot when he's completely in control of it. Uh, if he can do that, why can't everyone? And as I've said from the start, and I think I might have written about this over the weekend as well, is that McCullum did not attack every ball. It's nonsense mm-hmm. to think that McCullum was always in attack mode. It's not how he played his cricket. He, when he attacked, he went all in more than other people. Mm-hmm. But he didn't always attack. And I think that's a really, really important thing. Um, uh, Steve Smith, did you have anything about Steve Smith? I think Steve Smith was the glue that held Australia together in that first innings. I mean, there were a bunch of positives for Australia. Like David Warner got runs. Yeah. Uh, Travis Head and Usman Khwaja both continue to get runs for Australia, which is a very welcome sign. Man has got to start. I mean, he's not had the best of English summers thus far, but at least he got a start. Lots Mm. of positives. And yeah, Smith is just that eternal glue that holds everything together. And he too, you know, is not someone who just has one gear. He has multiple gears. I remember when he came out to bat, he scored, what, 25 of 20? Something along those lines. And he got to his 50 of 105 or something deliveries. So he is one to soak in the pressure and play according to the situation. And he knows the demands of the longest format. And there's like there's a reason why he's considered the best after Bradman. I nearly averages 60 with the bat in test cricket. And England is one of his favorite places to play. So I'm not particularly surprised. What yeah. I want to ask you is Nathan Lyon's gone. He's not going to be part of this Ashes anymore. And he had played 100 consecutive test matches. And he has been Australia's go-to spinner ever since Warren retired. They tried a few spinners in between, but none of that worked. So how much will this impact Australia? Because you've got Todd Murphy but he doesn't have a lot of experience and he's only yeah. bold on those Indian surfaces, this will be a different challenge. Yeah, I, I was actually just looking up a stat on Lyon. I wanted to see how many times he had taken over 40 wickets in a test match year, but I think, oh no, yeah, it's four times, I think. Five times? Five times. Hmm. He's taken over 40 wickets in a test in a, t- a calendar test match year. And I'd be interested to see how many guys have ever done that. A lot of that is just hmm. how many test matches Australia play, of course. But regardless, it's a lot, it's a lot to do. Um, the Todd Murphy part of it is really, really interesting because I think I saw Nathan Lyon when he first came through. I remember seeing him in those first big bash games through to, you know, being at maybe covering his first test and, and certainly being at uh, a lot of his first innings. Um, I think Todd Murphy, from what I've seen of him, it looks like a better ball than Nathan Lyon is at mm-hmm. a similar mark in their career. Doesn't mean he'll end up being there. Uh, Nathan Lyon's obviously had a fantastic career. But I do think Todd Murphy might be better. However, he played in India, as you said, very different to what he's got to be up against here. He's played a little bit of T20 cricket, so he's used to being bashed around a little bit. Pardon the pun. Uh, and he will have played on flatter wickets that won't have helped his spin. But generally, he w- in those wickets, he would have had to bowl over spin because he's an Australian spinner. Going up against the England style of play, and they're going to be, you would assume, they're only going to come harder in this test match than mm-hmm. they've come at any other stage. It's a really, really interesting one for him. I think since Lyon, and even maybe even including Lyon, of all the bowlers I've seen spinners come through Australia, he's the only one where I think he has a chance in this situation. Mm. So if anyone else was, you know, as young as him and as inexperienced as him, I would think that this would be a huge, huge issue and we might never see them again. 
I don't feel that is quite the way for him. Uh, that doesn't mean he'll have a good test match or, or a good rest of the series if he, if he plays throughout the rest of the series. But I do think that there is, I think he's very composed and he's very smart and he's very talented. He's got enough confidence in his own ability. He was willing, willing to take on, you know, the Indian players um, mm-hmm. in those situations. This is very different, but I do think that there's something there. And I also think most importantly, perhaps for this particular thing, that he's an all-surface bowler, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, Kuhneman, for instance, if Kuhneman never played outside of Asia, I wouldn't massively surprise me, and I think that would be fine. Uh, whereas I think Todd Murphy is the next Nathan Lyon in that he can play in all um, situations. So as far as having uh, the only – I've been thinking about this a lot. The only better replacement that anyone has, maybe you would say – Folks and Butler as replacements mm. for best, though. Uh, you would say uh, Akshar Patel for Jadeja. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's probably a couple with the South African seam bowlers where they've got, you know, a couple of other guys out there. And there's, you know, Will Young is maybe another one as well. Uh-huh. I would say that this is one of the best replacements you could have. If you're going to have an injury, Todd Murphy coming in for Nathan Lyon is the best case scenario. Uh, you know, it's not like, Jack Leach is injured. We need to pull someone off the bench, right? Uh, who's that mm. bloke who was in the IPL? Uh, you know, it's not like that. So I do think from that perspective, it's a really, really good thing. However, mm. he's still a kid playing in, in this and it's going to be very tough. Uh, the other, the one last thing from the, this game uh, that I know you wanted to talk about was the stack ball to Oli Pope, which was yeah. absolutely incredible. It was so funny watching England bowl like with pancakes um, into the pitch for like, three hours or four hours or whatever it was. And then Mitchell Stark's like, guys, have you tried massive in-swingers onto the top of middle stump? Because this also works. Well, that was... I I think calling it a massive in-swinger is actually an understatement. Mm. That was just the best... One of the best bowls that Stark has ever bowled. I know people talk about that Vince ball from the Australian Ashes a few Ashes back. But that hit a massive crack. There were no cracks over here. And just if you look at the trajectory of the ball... And the way it, you know, outdid um, what you call Ollie Pope. I reckon like three to four generations of Ollie Pope will not be able to have, like, put a bat on ball. That's just how good it was. And I think it's... it's if you put Ollie Pope's from the crease <laughs> all the way down to halfway, they all would have been defeated. If the actual Pope throws, like, holy water on them, I think they'll still be defeated. So, still wouldn't stop it. it was, yeah. I, I, if you have a look at the footage, and I know the cameras are never quite straight on, but you could see the ball go outside off stump before coming back. And that's an, sometimes that's an optical illusion. You watch with left-arm um, seam bowlers because of the way they swing it. Sometimes it looks like that. There's another one that Stark bowled recently, mm-hmm. and I thought it had done the same thing. And then when I look back, I was like, I oh, know it hasn't. Actually, it's um, I sh- the Hawkeye showed it. I haven't seen the Hawkeye of that ball, so maybe I'm wrong. But it looked definitely, in this case, like it went at least two off stump, if not outside off stump. And then and then a little bit like the magic illusion from the uh, Seinfeld episode, then just came around back to bowl him. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Also, I mean, I'm probably going to tweet this later, but I want to start a petition to rename Hawkeye as Bird Empire. So if anyone's watching this, please, you know, throw some weight behind that. But anyway, so uh, yeah, the start this was amazing. And you got like, the main takeaway over here is that the three best deliveries, all ashes, have been bowled by Australians. You think about that Cummins Yorker to Ollie Pope, mm. and that was like that's a close second, I'd say. The Stark one just you know edges it uh, for me, and then you've also got that top of off 
bowl that, oh, well, he does it all the time. Pat Cummins in top of off is like a match made in heaven. But the way he got Harry Brook out was just, I think that was a statement from Australia. And yeah, I mean, barring maybe Josh Hazelwood, who do, who did get some wickets off the short delivery, I think uh, Stark and Cummins have found their rhythm in England. You have a case for Boland for Hazelwood at Headingley. I think that is definitely a conversation. I think they might rest Hazelwood anyway, just just mm-hmm. based on, on on how he's bowled in these series, just say to it. Because he was never supposed yeah. to play all five tests anyway. I think mm. he, he was aiming to play three. He's played two in a row. He doesn't look in great yeah. rhythm to me. I don't think he bowled terribly at times. I th- actually, it's the best I've seen him sort of bowl the short ball, maybe because he had so much practice mm. um, at it. But it's you the also best. have to give Alex Carey props for that, where he was standing for that Duckett dismissal. Yeah. And it's interesting because Duckett usually plays the swivel pull sort of thing, which is safer. But on that occasion, he didn't. He went more expansive and it got the better of him. But I just think Australia's bowling attack is miles ahead of England's because you look at them and they don't have an enforcer. You know, Josh Tung was their enforcer and he did a decent job. But, you know, mm. the military medium militia just bowling those bounces, it's quite sad when you look at it. You it's know, quite sad when you look at James Anderson. You know, it's really annoying that you said that, military, medium, <laughs> militia, because I wrote that line. Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> and I could not say it on camera. In fact, I've just said it now, so it's actually annoying me. I reckon I did that take seven times, and mm. I was very close to throwing my um, phone off the Lord's balcony on stage. I could not get military, medium, militia. And I was so proud of that line. I was like, nailed yeah. it. No, yeah, um, Josh Tung, it was that line and the Danny DeVito line. I think that's where you were really I at your about best. That. Yeah, yeah. Um, Josh <laughs> Tung actually broke a stump thing, in this in this one as well. He he, not, I didn't mm-hmm. who was it he, when he bowled Warner? He knocked the top off a stump. I'm just saying because yeah. usually we get really excited about that, but I don't think anyone noticed because it looked like a bail. But if you go back and have a look, mm-hmm. the top of the stump just exploded. Ah. Yeah, so I think Australia's bowling is way better placed than England's. And England will have to bring in Mark Wood, I guess, for Ollie Robinson, because Ollie Robinson is averaging less than 80 miles per hour uh, when he's bowling in these two tests. And both Anderson and Ollie have come off of injuries. But here's the interesting one. You probably want to play James Anderson at Old Trafford. So do you rest him at Headingley? I don't know what will happen. I know Moeen will come back because that's what they're suggesting. His finger is healed and all of that. But this is a problem. It's a massive problem going forward for England in the Ashes. And also, Jared, I just think that both teams just miss so many opportunities. I've lost count of the number of catches dropped. I think there have been four dismissals this English summer off no balls. Two in this game, Cameron Green and Ben Stokes. That ultimately, you just have to think that the team which made lesser errors won, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's definitely been a little bit messy so far. You're listening on Covered. That was Bayram. You can find him as Def Mango on Twitter. I'm Jared Kimber. You can find me wherever you need me, really. I'm probably behind the bin. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here. And then after the break, we'll be back to talk about the World Cup qualifiers. Uncovered with Jared and Bayram. Uh, I suppose if we're going to talk World Cup qualifiers, we're still, well, next week, on the episode we'll probably talk about the teams who have made it and not quite uh, or not quite made it um there's plenty of good stuff to talk about but you can't really go past the west indies Mm. i'm gonna say i I know what the average cricket fan is going to think where they're going to think this is an absolutely terrible moment for west indies cricket i think this is actually what needs to happen to cricket nations. I think they need to fail on this level so that things change. Um, uh, Jimmy Adams, who I don't know if I've ever had him on my podcast. I don't think I have, but you know, I've talked to Jimmy quite a few times. You know, I think they were moving in, in many good directions. Their talent pool isn't as strong as it has been at other times. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Um, but 
I think one thing that West Indies cricket really desperately needed was the uh, losing some games mm. and missing out on a tournament so that they know exactly where they are. They got lucky five years ago. I don't think that's improved their cricket over the last five years. They still have talented players coming through. I, I like Jaden Seals. You know, Kyle uh, uh, Carl, Carl is a, a marvel. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Little Chanderpaul, all these different players coming through. There's, talent mm. hasn't stopped there. Cricket isn't going to end uh, because of how poor they've been in this tournament. But I do think this is what is supposed to happen. You are supposed to, in, in sport, you are supposed to know what it's like to not qualify so that mm. everyone pulls together to make sure that doesn't happen again. And the problem with cricket for so long is we've had so many teams who have been very bad for long periods of time just because it doesn't matter as much. I'm hoping now it matters a little bit more, but I'm sure most casual fans don't want to hear any of this. And what they really just want to hear is, uh, is this the end for West Indies cricket? Yeah, I mean, Darren Sammy alluded to much of what you said, right? He said that when you hit rock bottom, there's only one direction where you can go. But he said that after the Netherlands game and then they lost to Scotland. So I do a feel sorry for the West Indies. Yeah, I really do. I'm a big fan of their cricket. I think everyone enjoys watching them play just because of their brand and, you know, the way they just come out and attack and stuff like that. But look, this is not something new. West Indies Cricket Board has been, you know, the center of a lot of problems for a long time now. There's, of course, the lack of funding and you can talk about that, that players aren't paid as well as, you know, their franchises pay them. So there's that bit of uh, problem over there with, the, you know, just freelancing and people call them mercenaries at that point, but I don't like that word. And uh, I mean, West Indies Cricket had a severe lack of cohesion. You'd always hear about these problems that are going on with the board and the players. And of course, the lack of funds, relationships were not maintained and your best players were not retained. I mean, Jared, Evan Lewis, who I thought was the heir to Chris Gale's throne, has not played an ODI or List A game since July 2021. This is Evan Lewis. He should be playing every game for the West Indies. I know he's had some issues with fitness and stuff like that. But, that, but the issue still- is that there's always a problem with one of these players. Mm. And they, they, at times they decided that that was going to be all about fitness, right? So when I was in the mm. CPL, that was a big thing. And I remember them saying, you know, every, every one of your players in the CPL must be fit enough to play for the West Indies, you know, which was tricky for us because we had Rakim Cornwall and I wasn't quite sure how, what that <laughs> meant. I didn't, I didn't even know what Rakim Cornwall needed. Does he just need to be able to hit pump sixes and bowl four overs of off spin or does he need a different kind of fitness? But, um, they, you know, they do that, but then that means that Andre Russell's like, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. I can't move in the field, you know, and Sun on Orion doesn't move very well, and all the, mm-hmm. it, there's always seems to be an issue with all their with all their players and the way they fit together. Um, you know, leadership is an issue. Karen mm-hmm. Pollard, you know, got the job, but his knees are on the way out. Nicholas Perrin got the job, but probably isn't a, you know, very smart young man, but probably isn't yeah. a natural leader, right? Definitely you know, it, there, there's just so many issues and. Every everywhere you go. I mean, I heard Ricky Ponting the other day say, oh, West Indies cricket just needs to invest more money. The problem is, mm. if West Indies cricket was a nation, right? Yeah. That nation would invest more money. If you're Absolutely. Jamaica, let's and I, I maybe Jamaica's the wrong word, Trinidad, which I think is doing pretty well economically at the moment. Mm-hmm. At least last time I checked it. Yeah, un- unless I've missed something massive. And I apologize <laughs> to all all my Trini friends. But m- my memory was that they were doing pretty well. If they invested a bunch of money in West Indies cricket, right? A, they're only going to get a certain amount of players in the West Indies side. Mm. And the majority of those players are going to go off and play franchise cricket now anyway, right? Where is the incentive even for the nations to do that? And then, of Mm. course, even if one nation does it, is that enough? Is is Trini suddenly pumping $3 million in a year to develop players enough to change uh, all West Indies cricket? Mm -hmm. Probably not. 
Yeah. Also, like you need list A competitions. I am always crying, uh, you know, in Pakistan regarding this, that you have like what one list A competition all year and you're supposed to produce ODI cricketers from that. You need to have a consistent season and West Indies domestic cricket is not really a thing anymore. I know it exists, but everyone's looking for a franchise gig and I don't blame these guys, you know, because that's just the financial structure that exists for them now. You talking about them not being one nation also is a big factor in this because you need all of these countries now to come, you know, on the same page. And, well, even if we, you know, look past all of these things, West Indies, of course, it aches my heart too that they won't be part of this World Cup. And you can also make an argument that 10-team World Cups are just not fair. But if you're losing to Zimbabwe, Scotland and the Netherlands, you don't deserve to be at the World Cup, right? Well, that's if you just, lose to Zimbabwe, I think that's probably fair. But if you're losing to Scotland yeah. and the Netherlands and they're not picking their best teams, then... If- cannot defend 375 versus a Netherlands team, which is not featuring Fred Klaassen, Van Meekeren, uh, who else am I missing? Roloff, Van der Merwe, Colin Ackerman. Ackerman These yeah. were the stars of that game in which they defeated South Africa not too long ago in that T20. I mean, kudos to the Netherlands. Of course, they've had some fantastic performance in Bastelada and uh, Logan Oh, the Netherlands still have talent, but the, the point mm-hmm. is that you're making is that... Yeah. You know, the, the level of of Netherlands cricket just below the bit we see hmm. is nowhere near as strong as anything in the West Indies. Right? And Barbados they played school a cricket stronger is, is stronger. Team. Didn't Nicholas Puran's team play a stronger Netherlands not too long ago and win against them? So, I mean, there's in no In the Netherlands, wasn't it? I think so. Because Pakistan Actually, I'm not the sure it was stronger. I think it might have been another team mm. where they didn't have all their best players. But but your your point is there. Uh, we, we've actually had a super chat about this. Uh, oh, Ragav okay. says, out of Zimbabwe, Scotland and the Netherlands, who do you think will perform better on Indian pitches mm. in the World Cup? They'll most likely play Hyderabad twice, Lucknow twice, uh, Dharmasala, Delhi, Kolkata, Pune and Bangalore. So Zimbabwe have two decent, well, they have one good, very good spinner in Ryan Burl. I'd say then Sekandar Raza is He's all right. like part-time plus Variation maybe the best bowling. way of putting Yeah. And then, mm. yeah, exactly. And then they've got a, obviously a couple of other um, batters who can bowl a little bit of spin. Scotland have two very good spinners. Unfortunately for mm. Scotland, they both have to be left-arm figure spinners. And <laughs> so if they go up against a team with too many left-handers, they just don't feel comfortable. Even though Mark Watts, a very non-traditional uh, left-arm finger spinner, they have not felt comfortable playing them. Yeah, I, I could say this as the former analyst that was the conversation we always had it was um do we do we do this or do we not um but yeah i, I they're not I'll, as good. I'll throw one in over there netherlands yeah. have a leg spinner who i just saw and was very impressed with sakib zulfikar i think that's his name bowls yeah. a flatter trajectory does not give the batter any room and i think he if if let's say they make it to india 2023 which i don't see happening i think sri lanka and zimbabwe are probably the two yeah. favorite teams to make it but if they somehow make it i think this kid is very very talented and i was really impressed by the way he was bowling in another game i think it was the sri lanka game which netherlands nearly won now, had mm. they won that game, that would have made things really interesting. That would have been but, fun. But yeah, I think the talent pool is quite good because considering they don't have so many players at their disposal because of county cricket you know, commitments, I think they've done really well. They've over-exceeded yeah. their expectations. Definitely. The only other thing I would say about these three teams is, so we've talked about the spinners. I feel, still think Zimbabwe has the best all-round. I mean, Zimbabwe mm-hmm. had Brandon Mavuta, who's not even probably going to play. And it's the second time today I've been on a podcast. They've got Wesley Madhavere as well. He's a very handy cricketer. That's what I mean. They've good, they've got so many options, but the other the most important thing I think is the batting. Uh, yeah. You know, Scotland have Callum McLeod. I'm trying to think. Netherlands will Michael have Leesk. Colin Ackerman. So there's a couple mm. of guys that can play spin. But Zimbabweans grow up um, on pitches that spin a lot. 
doesn't mean they're always necessarily good at playing spin as you know we've certainly certainly seen a few countries over the while that have got spinning conditions and don't always play it as well but the point is that in scotland and netherlands that is not as much the case right mm-hmm. the zimbabwean pitchers uh, if you look at the old Crickfizz numbers, they used to have the second most spin in the world behind mm. uh, Sri Lanka. I'm not sure that's still the case, but certainly in this tournament, we've seen a lot of spin again. So I would think of those three teams, Zimbabwe would be the one. I, I think Zimbabwe is just the best team, but also mm. if you're talking conditions-based, I think they're the best option there. But thank you very much, Aragab, for your uh, super chat. Um, I've got one more note here, and I don't know what mm-hmm. it means. And I know I was talking to you when I took this note, but I've got West Indies, uh-huh. Netherlands, and then something here that says player. Do you know what? Was there another team we were going to talk about? Um, maybe you were wanted to talk about how in the Super Over, the West Indies gave the ball to Jason Holder, who wasn't even impressive in the IPL. And they had Alzari Joseph, who had bowled a very decent last over in the 50 50- overs that they bowled. Now, I don't know, maybe there's a rule that if you're bowling the last over of a regular game, you can't bowl the super over, but that just, you know, it blew my mind. Also, they didn't have... He said that blew your mind. Was that the stupidest thing they did? Didn't Shai Hope bat in the super over? He also batted in the super over. And I mean, sure, I get it. Nicholas Puran can't come out because he wasn't on the field. But really? Shai Hope? Is that the guy you're going with? I mean, I get it. Captains taking responsibility, leaders leading from the front. But come on, use some common sense. You like you had a strike rate of what sixty not too long ago. You you've upped that. I'll give Shea Hope that, but that could just it's just a tactical blunder of uh, enormous proportions. So uh, we talked about West Indies. We talked about Netherlands. Is there another team that you wanted to talk about? I'm just trying to read my note. I have no idea what I it mean, says. Um... It looks like I've made up a word. It, this I'm just going to spell it out to you. This is how weird it is. It's P A Y I E R. Paya. I don't know. That sounds like a South African name, but. I mean, just, I guess I can add a bit more on the West Indies. We've talked about the non-cricketing aspect of things, but if you really look at the cricketing aspect of things, they were the worst fielding team in the entire World Cup qualifiers. And that has got to come in, you know, uh, you've got to pay for those dues at some point. And also their batters, minus Puran and Brandon King, you know, those guys who got some runs, they all got starts. None of them kicked on. I don't know what your... (laughs) <laughs> the word means no but I think that's all I have in my notes <laughs> that's the end of Uncovered because I can't I'm never going to be able to work out this note I don't understand what it means I don't know why Dane Pite is coming into my mind Dane with Pete? the spellings that you've yeah Pete sorry no it's got a bit of Dan Pete to it I I, I see that <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if I've had Dane on the podcast before I did commentary with Dane Pete for the minor league cricket uh, lovely guy I think he's got his own mm. podcast now um, Dane right. Pete He's got a podcast on USA Cricket. So if you remember Dane mm. Pete, uh, he's the South African off spinner. I'm sure if you put his podcast, into, if you put Dane Pete's name and podcast into YouTube or wherever you find your places, you'll be able to find it. I should know the name of it. I think it's called the Great Big American Cricket Podcast okay. or something like that. Um, <laughs> sorry, Dane, this is the worst um, promotion you're ever going to get for your podcast. Uh, but just a big thanks to everyone. There's some great comments coming through. We obviously, we went well fast how much we were supposed to be talking mm. about anyway on this podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> as, as we we often do but just a huge thanks remember you can find Bayram on Twitter at Def Mango or at Grassroots Cricket you can find me absolutely everywhere you need me and we will see you again next time thanks for listening this podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon where there are many other extras as well including a Discord channel There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. 
please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orajoti Saina Paye and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.